nice to see everybody. Um, when I first thought about this message, Jinha and I were kind of talking about how it would be great to have a string of messages that had to do with salvation and the, and the intricacies of how uh, salvation works, how one can be accepted with God. And a topic that came to our minds was this topic of uh, free choice versus uh, God's divine will, or some people would call it predestination, uh, whatever you would like to call it. As I was reading through different materials this week, I realized how vast and huge this topic is, and thought, I've got between 30 to 45, and I'm pushing 45 minutes, and Jim always makes fun of me because I always preject for long. Anyway, I thought, there's no way that I'm going to be able to cover everything, and so what I'm going to do today is try and simplify. You're going to find that I probably wasn't able to cover every base, but I thought there's enough to discuss afterwards, and so I hope we can really discuss and flush some of these ideas out the discussion period after, after we're done. But with that, uh, we'll start for today. As somebody who has wondered how this idea of God's will works uh, in, in our lives, I always used to ask that question, how do I get into God's will? Because if I can just get into God's will, everything will run smoothly. In other words, when I choose my vocation, I want to make sure that it's a calling from God. And I don't know if you've ever gone through that, a period of time in your life where you kind of want to make sure that God is there and so it alleviates the fear of failure, if you will. And if God calls you, then it's going to be okay and everything will turn out good. Or uh, another example would be relationships. How do I know God wants me to be with this individual? Because if God brought this relationship together, then it's definitely going to work and everything will be fine and I don't have to worry about the fear of failure. So. There is this human desire to want to make sure that God is in the center of our lives, and at the same time, there's kind of this question of, okay, how do I know if I'm in love God's will? How do I know if this is God's will? How do I know if uh, there is a guarantee of success, if you will? And basically, it comes down to this question of how much choice do we actually have in terms of God's will versus our choice? And so today, I invite you to join me on this journey, and uh, we're going to start out by uh, introducing two Bible texts. The first one is John chapter 3, verse 16. And what I'm going to do this afternoon is just talk about salvation initially, and hopefully we can make other applications as we go along. But the first text is John chapter 3, verse 16. And this is kind of a, well, it's a very well-known verse to kind of give us the idea that we have a lot of choice. So I'll read the text. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And the key phrase in this text is, whoever believes in him. In other words, we have the freedom to choose to believe or not to believe. And if we believe, then there is salvation, there is acceptance, there is forgiveness. And if we don't believe, well, you don't get those things. So the responsibility largely lies with the individual. Here's the second text. It's John chapter 15, verse 16. It says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. And it continues on. And the idea here is God is saying, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And my question is this, are these two ideas different? Are they complementary? Are they the same? How does this work? And how does one work through these concepts as they go on along their Christian journey? Now, for me, there are two main schools of thought. And within those two schools of thought, there's lots of variation in between. 
And so I'm just going to say there's the Armenian camp, the guy named Jacobus Arminius, and he was this guy that kind of was a promoter of free will and choice. And he was saying, we make our own decisions along with God's divine grace, if you will. So that's one camp. And on the other side of the camp, we have a guy named John Calvin, which you guys are probably familiar with. And we get uh, Reformed theology through John Calvin. Now, John Calvin believed that there's something called predestination, if you will. In other words, God gets his way, and God gets his way. And so, you can guess this verse would fall under the Calvinist ideology, and John 3.16 is the Armenian way of approaching salvation. And so, obviously, both texts are in the Bible, and as I was reading through this, and reading through what all the different variations thought, and I, I shouldn't say all, but different variations, what they thought, thought, this is very complicated. So, anyway, this is my attempt at making it simple. What I want to do is look at the next text. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, and approach it from these two different approaches, if you will. So the text, which is a quite uh, familiar text as well, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, here's the Armenian, Armenian way of approaching this text. Let me, actually, let me just quiz you guys. I've, give, I've shared with you two different names. Which do you think is the more adventist approach to the text? Would you say Armenian or Calvinian? Let me, let me see a show of hands. So I'm going to make you guys uncomfortable and make you respond to the message. So how many of you say it's uh, Calvinism? How many of you say it's Arminianism? How many of you don't want to raise your hands? <laughs> oh, okay, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so as, as you can tell, it's, we do approach it from more of an Arminius standpoint, or Arminian standpoint. And what the general churchgoer looking at this would say is, aha, every temptation that comes my way can be overcome. Right? Every temptation that comes my way can be overcome because it says, you will not be tempted beyond what you can bear, um, and he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. In other words, I can endure if I just get it right, whatever it is. True? Now, here's what the Calvinists would say, looking at this text. The Calvinists would look at this and say, humanity cannot succeed no matter what. No matter how hard I try, I will not succeed. I am a sinner. I am weak. My natural inclination is towards disobedience or against God, and so it is impossible for me to make it. And that's why there is God. Right? The text says, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And so the responsibility lies on God to do his thing. Now let me ask you a question. This makes everybody uncomfortable. Which approach do you think is right? Option number one, option number two. Option number one, let's see. Any hands? No, you guys are terrible churchgoers. <laughs> option number two. Okay, we have some uncomfortable hands. Option number one is the Armenian approach. In other words, every temptation that's given to me can be overcome. The second approach is, it is 
impossible for me as an individual who is bent towards not obeying God to obey. And so I need God. That's why the text says God is faithful and he will not be tempted beyond what you can bear. So my question is, option number one, option number two. So we'll, we'll, we'll go again. Option number one, hands. Okay, we, we, got, we have one person who's willing to say, yes, I believe this. Option number two. Uh, we get a few more hands. Now my question is this. When the more I look at the wording, it can become an issue of semantics from here. And so I wonder if it's almost the same thing using different wording. So this is a challenge that has been plaguing, I shouldn't say plaguing. This is, this is an issue that Christianity has been dealing with for a very, very long time. And in my own life and as I talk to other people, we have these questions. How much does God do? How much do I do? And how do you find uh, the balance between it? And there are times in temptation where uh, there's a decision that is made, and I've said, I do not want to fall into this temptation, and it's kind of like a decision. And I remember growing up, people used to say, if you just memorize the Bible, like you will, you'll be all right. And so I would quote scripture, and it wouldn't work. <laughs> What's wrong with this? I thought the Bible has supposed to be some power, but just keep persevering, 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 and then I'm like, hey, I made it out. Like, aha, the decision was with me. And then there are other times where I'm thinking, oh, like such a rough day. Uh, like, I'm gonna fall, I'm gonna fall, and then God sends somebody to encourage me, or I get a phone call, or something happens outside of myself, or I have no strength, and there it is, victory. And so when I look at the two different approaches, I thought, well, you know, in my own life, I've experienced both. There are times where God plays circumstances in my life that are going to change me forever, and I'll never be the same. One being, I have a baby boy now, <laughs> and that's just going to drastically change me. And it, I'll tell you what, there's nothing like a maturity booster, like having a baby, and I'm not speaking as if I have arrived, I am mature now, like I'm not. But I'm just saying, <laughs> it, it forces me to do things that I probably normally wouldn't do, and that, that was a decision outside of myself. Because he wasn't planned. <laughs> so, uh, but we love him anyway. He's probably going to hit his recording years from now. <laughs> but no, like he, he is an external circumstance that came into my life that's a blessing for me. And my life is never going to be the same. And yeah, So I'm just saying both approaches make sense to me. And of course, with those two approaches, there's tons more. I'm not going to go into that. So what I want to do is look at it from God's perspective in terms of the reason why this issue can be difficult, because the question can be, if God makes a way for me to obey, and as long as I get into that stream, I will always be there, versus if I get into a different stream where there's disobedience, I will always be there. So is there free choice in between the two streams, if that makes sense? And so what I want to do is there are texts in the Bible where God makes it very clear as to what his will is, and then in the Bible, there are times when we see how humanity responds to God's will. And that's what I want to do this morning, or afternoon. So the next text is going to be Titus chapter 2, verse 11. And this says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And so my question is this. In terms of God's will, wanting people to be saved, wanting people to experience salvation and acceptance, how many people does he offer that to, according to this text? I know this is an obvious question, but I've been told, keep asking the obvious question, so I'm not letting you guys off. So, how many people has he offered it to? 
all people. So we know what's in the heart of God. Let's go to the next text. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And so, in the Bible, I've only listed two because I don't want to be too repetitive, but there's like a string of texts throughout Scripture that kind of instruct us as to God's original plan. And that's basically to offer salvation to every single person. In other words, there's a great deal of freedom that's given to us, and that's proved in the fact that not everybody believes. Not everybody says, yes, I want to follow Jesus. We have atheists, we have so many different uh, ideas out in the world, and people are not forced to believe. And it's proof that, well, it's not so simple as two different streams. So we continue on. There's a passage in Romans chapter 8, and if you guys have your Bibles, there's this promise that's given, and in my opinion, this is one of the most complicated sections of the book of Romans, or even, uh, I shouldn't say the Bible, because that would mean that I know the Bible very well front and back, and I shouldn't say that I do that, I, I know that yet, but this is a very complicated text for me, but what I want to do is show this promise to you, and how it's applied in the Bible. So Romans chapter 8, and we'll start in verse 28. It reads... For we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So here's that word. God calls people to a specific purpose. He has a plan in mind. The scripture continues on saying, Because those who he foreknew, he also predestined. And it sounds like there's a stream now, right? A stream to obedience. To be conformed to the image of his son, that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Okay, so here is the big question. It starts out with the Bible saying that God calls individuals. He foreknew, he has a plan. He's predestined individuals to obedience. And so what happens is, he calls, they are then justified, and sanctified, and glorified. Theologians call it a chain of salvation. And the question is this, can the chain be broken? Are you stuck in one stream, or can you go into another stream? So can the chain be broken? Is it breakable, or is it unbreakable? And that's the question. Now, notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 14. There's a time where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, Many are called, but few are chosen. Right? So the argument in Romans chapter 8 is that if God calls you, you will be justified, sanctified, glorified, like you're stuck there, like you're in. And here, Jesus gives this text, and it's the exact same Greek word. I think it's like kaleo or something like that. And it's called. Jesus says many are called, but few are chosen. And so, just from looking at this in a simple way, it puts in my mind that one God clearly makes a plan. In other words, there is a provision to succeed. So if you hear the message, if you accept the message, you are sanctified, justified, glorified, uh, mix up the uh, order, but that's okay. Basically, there is a provision to make it to succeed. It doesn't make it easy. And here, Jesus balances that out by saying, listen, everybody is called. There are many people that are called. But there are a few people that will actually make it. And so, when I read this text, now, in my own life, there was a time when I thought, listen, as soon as you get that green light from God and you're in God's will, you're going you're gonna to make it. You're going to be good. 
this was the case when I first started, when I first met Jinha. And I was always looking for a sign from God. Like, if God just gives me the sign, I will know I'm in the right stream, and it's going to be good, and it's going to be smooth sailing. And so, I remember praying regularly, God, just give me that sign, give me that sign, give me that sign. And <laughs> the first time I met Jinha was actually at church, and she was pastoring a collegiate group, and I walked into the room, and she came to me, and she, she was just being a friendly pastor, and she was saying, excuse me, um, have we met before? And I was kind of intimidated and shy, and I was like, pretty girl, ah! you know, like, what do I say? And, yeah, she asked me a question. I tend to be literal, so she said, have we met before? And I told her, no, because <laughs> we hadn't met before, and I didn't really know what to say after that, so I decided not to say anything, and uh, that was our first conversation. So anyway, uh, here's this, group, this young lady that I admired, um, and I just needed that boost of confidence, like, like, go talk to her, like, or just get to know her better. And my prayer request was that, uh, so one day, uh, I was supposed to be preparing for my sermon, it was like a Sunday afternoon, and I'm praying and I get a text message. And usually, like, if I'm praying, like, I'm praying, I can't be bothered, but in that one particular day, I was praying. I was supposed to be praying about my sermon. I started praying about my singleness instead. And I was kind of like, God, like, help me with this sermon. And then, why am I single? And you know, sometimes prayer works that way. And anyway, I got this text message. And Jin Hao was like, hey, um, are you preaching next week? And I texted her back saying, yeah, I'll be preaching next week. And she said, hey, great. In that case, uh, I'll start praying for you right now. This girl, she's gonna, she's gonna pray for me all week. Like this is awesome. And, and I was like, this is such an answer to prayer. I was praying about my singleness, and she texted me, and she's gonna be praying for me. And I thought, oh, this is the kind of woman that I want to meet. You know, she's, she's a woman of prayer. Like she's involved in ministry. She cooks really well. And anyway, <laughs> and, and so in my mind, I thought this is great. Now, one challenge is that she was sponsored to work for the Greater New York Conference at that time, so she was studying her master's. After she would finish in one, she had two semesters left, she would be gone to New York and I would be stuck in uh, various Springs, Michigan. And so I knew that and I prayed, God, if you want this relationship to work out, please give me a sign, shut the door so that she can't go to New York anymore. In other words, like, like have her stay in very in some way because if she goes, then this is never going to work out. And so the week goes by, it's Friday night. I'm eating dinner at a friend's house, and she comes, and she used to tutor uh, on the side of studying, and she came, she's like, you won't believe it, I lost my job. And I thought, oh, she's not tutoring anymore. And so I, you know, I'm eating soup, and I was like, hey, so, like, what happened? How come you're not tutoring anymore? And she goes, no, 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 because of the, the GFC took place, the, I got a phone call from the Greater New York Conference president, and he said, because of the GFC, we no longer have finances, you got a free education, but sorry, we can't hire you afterwards. So she said, I'm not going to New York anymore. And I'm eating soup, and I'm trying not to smile, but I'm so happy. And in my mind, I'm thinking, she's the one! <laughs> and in my, I remember thinking, she doesn't know it yet, but we're going to get married. <laughs> That's what I thought. And so, of course, I, I'm trying not to smile. In the most genuine way that I can, I ask her, are you okay? <laughs> and she was like, no, I'm happy that I don't have to go. And so I get home, and... I've got to preach the next day, and I can't sleep, because I am fully, fully convinced that God has opened the door, and she's going to be my wife. And can't sleep that night. And so 
preached the next morning, and I had this guy, he rented his property out to us students, but he was this man of prayer. He was just a very mature individual. I respected him a lot, and I went and knocked on his door, I think, Sunday morning, and uh, his name was Dan, and I said, Dan, you won't believe what just happened. Just, Come on in. So I go in, and I tell him, there are two direct answers to prayer, and Dan gave me some of the best advice he, that, I, that I've received. <laughs> he said, Roy, those are definitely two answers to prayer. Those are definitely two answers to prayer. But if she doesn't like you, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and, and from that point on, I thought, okay, okay. So may, maybe I'm being a bit superstitious here. And this is what I realized. Throughout our relationship, there were periods of time that were very difficult. We come from, even though we're both Korean, and I've been in America my, my whole life, she's been in America most of her life, we, we have a bit of differences. And communication style, cultural differences, I'm American-Korean, she's Korean-American, and even though we look the same, you would be amazed at how different, <laughs> how different we approach specific things. And so, there were times where I thought, man, I'm positive that God told me that she's the one. I'm positive. But why is this so difficult? And why are there times where I'm wondering, are we going to make it in our relationship? Because, like, yeah, she's, like, very spiritual and she's godly, but I just, it's really hard to get along sometimes. And why, why is this happening? And I talked to this individual uh, who works for Adventist Frontier Missions, and he told me this statistic. And I don't remember the exact percentages, but this is what he said. When people come to his office, they want to do overseas missions. In other words, they're students, they've just graduated, and uh, AFM, or Adventist Frontier Missions, specializes in overseas long-term missions in remote areas. And so someone will come and they'll say, we need churches, plural, in India. Are you willing to go? And so one person in their family is supposed to go and plant multiple churches in, in a country that doesn't have very much Adventist influence. And so what he says is, people come to me, and the majority of people that say, God called me to go to wherever, Cambodia, most people end up leaving premature and coming back to the U.S. And then he said, you know, but most people that come to me out of principle just saying, you know what, there's a human need out in that area. I want to give. And so my family and I are signing up for the program, and we're going to go. Most of those people end up staying. And I just find it interesting that there is, there are clear promises that God is saying, these are certain things that I want you to do. I want there to be salvation. I want you to be in a meaningful relationship. Or I want you uh, to do missions. Like, those are clear goals, promises. And there are things that God puts in place so that those things can take place. But it doesn't mean that the end will always be successful. And I find that interesting. So the question is, why does that happen? And what does... God mean when he gives that promise, when he says, I've called you, I've justified you, sanctified you, glorified you, like you're going to make it, does that actually mean? In closing, I want to share one uh, Bible story, it's the story of Jonah, and the reason why this story is, the reason why I like this story is because there's a specific prophecy that's given this story, and from the Christian perspective, prophecy is something that is solid, like when God says, this is going to happen, it happens. It's almost that stream of like assurance. It's like a definite, this will happen if I say it's going to happen. Now, there's a guy named Jonah. He is a prophet. He is supposed to do what God wants him to do. And this prophet is from Joppa down here. 
And he is an Israelite, and the Israelites uh, lived in the, this fertile crescent right here, and basically they have this history of being colonized by more powerful kingdoms. And there was a kingdom of uh, Assyria here, and Nineveh is kind of like the capital city there. And they have this really bad history. Now, in the story of Jonah, God tells his servant or prophet or messenger Jonah to go up to Nineveh and go preach to this city. In other words, go tell them about God. And in this story, uh, Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh, goes to he heads towards Tarshish. And as you can see on the map, Tarshish is nowhere near Nineveh. It is in the complete opposite direction. And in the story, Jonah gets thrown off this boat, and uh, he gets swallowed by a whale, and then the whale brings him back here and spits him up on the beach near Nineveh, and he travels to that city. If you go with me to Jonah chapter 3, we're going to end here. Jonah chapter 3. So, in Jonah chapter 3, this is what the Bible says. The Lord said to Jonah a second time, Go immediately to Nineveh, that large city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah went immediately to Nineveh as the Lord had said. When Jonah began to enter the city, one day's walk, he announced, At the end of 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. In other words, you've got 40 days, and you're going to be destroyed. There's no clause to that. It's just, you're done. Now, in the Bible, whenever there's a prophecy that's given, it's pretty much going to happen. Like, there's a prophecy that Jesus is going to come and to die for our sins. That happened. Like, there's no way that's not going to happen. And here, this prophecy is given. Like, you got 40 days? Done. And here's how it ends. If you go to the end of the chapter, basically the king of Nineveh hears about this. He commands everybody to be sorry for the wrong that they've done. And in verse 10 it says, When God saw their actions, they turned from their evil way of living, and God relented concerning the judgment he had threatened them with, and he did not destroy them. In other words, God gives this prophecy. He's like, this is going to happen. Everybody says, man, we messed up. And as a result, God goes, you know what? I'm not going to destroy them at all. And then he doesn't. Now, what's amazing to me is Jonah's response. He is supposed to be on God's side, and you have this whole huge, significant city that decides we're going to follow God now. And in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, This displeased Jonah terribly, and he became very angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, this is just what I thought would happen when I was in my own country. This is what I tried to prevent by attempting to escape to Tarshish, because I knew that you're gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and one who relents concerning threat and judgment. And so, Jonah goes, I knew you were going to save them. I knew you were going to change your mind. And that's why I ran away. And as you can tell, Jonah probably had some problems in his uh, life, and he really did not like um, the Ninevites. And so, in sharing this, I just want to share how, when it comes to salvation, God provides the provision for good to happen. And there are times when people are in the bad where God changes his mind. And the important thing that I want to leave this talk away from is the fact that there is freedom even in God's plan. There is no doubt that there are times where God says, this is my will, and he has a plan, and he makes provision for that plan to take place. But even in that planning, there is 
free choice. So with that, we'll go into our discussion time. Father, as we consider 